podcast about disasters and the that face. I was doing it. You smug. <laughs> You can't handle the face. What, have, like, I, I what are you been, doing here? I was ready. Okay. <laughs> this is The Disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm your host, Peter, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee. Hi. And you're here for part three of our Halloween trilogy of despair and part two of our episode about something black. Mm. Don't worry. I'm going to say the name real soon. We'll We've been teasing it, soon. it. We've been teasing it. You know what it's about. You've read the title, but we're saying it soon. Yeah. A little bit of housekeeping right up front. We, uh, more and more listeners, so thanks for coming. A lot of people ask what they can do to help us out. Best thing is to subscribe, review the podcast wherever you listen, and tell all of your friends about us and get them to listen. Yes. Or else. <laughs> it is Halloween after all That's tomorrow. Right. Coming for you. Don't forget to check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. We've got a sweet shop up there too. Today, uh? we're going back to 14th century Europe. If you'll remember, I'll do, I'll do a bit of a recap. Yeah. But uh, just as a reminder, this is an off-book disaster, meaning it's not from the Great Disasters Reader's Digest book that we right. get inspiration from sometime. This is from a book, well, I've kind of sourced it from multiple places, right. but uh, most of it comes from a book called The Great Mortality by John Kelly. Right. So it is in that. that book, but you went yeah. way beyond the Yeah, book. I just... Uh, Ignored the book. I basically saw that it's in the book and then did my own research. Because yeah. this book is, the book that I read, The Great Mortality... That was me. Doing Beautiful. That was, the, that was a mwah. Bellissimo. You can't see what I'm, but anyway. Like the Genoese say. Indeed. <laughs> we'll get to them in a second. Yeah. But first I'm going to talk about the Templar's Curse. See, this is exciting for me because our, our last two-parter was Crowhurst. Yeah. Our only other two-parter. Yeah. I'll let you know a little secret. We recorded both parts back in the same <laughs> session. This one we're doing separate. So I've had a week yeah. or two weeks to sort of... Not know what's going on. Hang on a cliff. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I'm about to push you off that so cliff. So let's go. We're all going off the cliff right now. Woo! So the poor fellow soldiers of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon were a Catholic religious society of knights. Mm. Such societies arose. They they basically showed up during the Crusades. Yes. They were usually tasked with protecting pilgrims and Crusader states. Okay. That name might not ring a bell, but you probably know them by another name: the Knights Templar. Yeah. Yep. So a little, bit, Templar, a little so. bit catchier. A little yeah, bit catchier. Yeah, yeah. So they were founded in uh, 1119, 1119 is a better way to say that. Sure. <laughs> yep. And they were active until 1312. And we'll get into why they stopped being active in 1312. Okay. So okay. they wore an iconic, I'm sure you can picture them if you know what I'm talking about. They wore like that white surcoat with a red cross on it. Yeah. And they also sported impressive beards, mm. but that wasn't in their official code of conduct per se. A bunch of hipsters. Yeah, basically. Before <laughs> their time. Yeah. So the Templars, although isn't that the definition of hipster? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. The historical hipsters. Yeah. So the Templars were kind of the go-to charity in all of Christendom during most of their existence. So okay. if you wanted to donate money somewhere, it usually went to the Templars. Uh-huh. And they grew rapidly in money and power and yeah. numbers but mostly money. Because they had so, swords. They had swords, and that's a, that's the interesting thing. So they were skilled combatants, com, combatants? Combatants, that's mm. the word. They were skilled combatants, but up to 90% of them were non-fighting members dedicated to managing the Templar's finances. Huh. So, <laughs> like, a Templar will kick some ass for right. you, but they also collect a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they had deep pockets. Right. By 1307, King Philip IV of France was deep in debt to the Templars. Because he basically commissioned their help in his war with the English from 1294 to 1303. But when he got the bill, he kind of trumped it. Ooh. He pulled it, he put a little bit of a Donald. Oh, yeah. So they were a little, they were not on great terms. 
And furthermore, King Philip needed to bankroll his vision of a new France, which would be unified under a single crown, conveniently his own. Uh (laughs) So he is basically hurting for money. He owes the Templars a lot of money, and he needs a lot of money to kind of bankroll his new France. Mm. So when Pope Clement V asked Philip for his help investigating some minor two-year-old criminal charges made against a former Templar that had been thrown out of the (laughs) order, Philip took that inch and made it into several miles. (laughs) So the Templars have been- Glad to. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't don't say. (laughs) The Templars have a little bit of a scandal. Let me blow it way out of proportion. Why are you rubbing your hands together like that and grinning (laughs) evilly? Oh, no reason. I don't know who Scrooge McDuck is, but (laughs) I'm about to invent him. So the Templars, they might have been the go-to charity, but don't let that color your impression of them positively per se. So they were generally kind of feared and loathed. They were pretty fanatical and they're basically their own, you know, they're, they're a Christian organization, but they're kind of their own thing and they're pretty imposing. Yeah. I didn't have a good impression. Okay. Well, (laughs) I say charity. Churchy warriors who take all your money or else. Well, okay. So for those of you who didn't know who the Templars were. (laughs) Just based on your explanation. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. they actually, and they were kind of, they were a secret society and they were rumored even to practice black magic. And they're kind of viewed as this sinister organization whose ranks were made up of shadowy people. Ooh, maybe I like them again. Well, they're pretty, they're kind of metal. They're, they're kind of metal. Did they come up with the rules of chivalry? I uh, don't know if that was the Templars per se. Okay. It's just a knight. Yeah. I think it might just been a knight. Knights in general. Yeah, exactly. The genre of knights. So they're feared and loathed, secret society, but they also ran an international bank with overflowing coffers. Great. Philip, though, the king had one big problem, and that's that none of the alleged Templar crimes were against the crown. So mm. like, what's his basis for investigating them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That problem lasted for about eight seconds, or <laughs> roughly the time it took someone to realize that false confessions are a thing. Ah. So France went <laughs> to town on the Templars. You mean you can lie? Well, or you can get people to maybe say things that aren't, aren't true. duress. Okay. So for example, Gerard de Passaggio was a Templar knight. He testified that after his arrest, he was tortured by the hanging of weights on his genitals and other members. So that'll get you to confess to some crimes against the crown. <clears throat> other members? <laughs> what other members? Is <laughs> well, there's toes, maybe? Okay. That's probably not worse. Nah. Other Templars had their ankles and wrists slowly dislocated on the rack. Oh! They were hung from the ceiling by a rope that would suddenly go slack only to catch them at the last <laughs> second before hitting the ground. So the worst bungee jump. What? <laughs> you need some bunge. You need some bunge. <laughs> and maybe the worst one is, so there was one Bernard de Vajo had his feet smeared in grease and held in flame. So literally feet held to the fire. And when he tried to walk a few days later, the flesh came off his feet and the bones fell out. So <laughs> France didn't waste any... The bones fell out. Yeah. And you can imagine <laughs> being subjected to all of those. You get Templars admitting to a lot of crimes against the crown. I'll tell you anything. And a lot of money going to the crown. So King Philip's scourging of the Templars came to a spectacular conclusion in March of 1314. And this is when I'm getting to the point of why this is relevant to the rest of what we're care. talking about. I am just enjoying this. Well, great. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm gonna, oh I'm, yeah, Black Plague. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm also gonna mention this is a long episode, so we've we haven't broken it up, but I have planned an intermission. So there might be an intermission in the middle. You can run and get some popcorn. Yeah, exactly. So the Grandmaster Jacques de Molay was offered a life sentence. Grandmaster in the Templars, he was offered a life sentence in exchange for his public confession to quote crimes that defile the land with all of their filth. Mm-hmm. So this includes sodomy, idol worship, and worst of all, uh. spitting on the cross. Right? Nothing worse than that. Jeez. (laughs) 
Idol worship wherever you want. Don't spit on that Do cross. Not spit on that cross. On the Die. steps of Notre Dame Cathedral, um, which is actually another recent disaster. That Notre that, Dame Cathedral. Right, right. Oh, that summer. one. Yeah, yeah, sure. So on those steps, in front of most of Paris, de Molay, this grandmaster, told Philip to take his confession and shove it. Mm. So Philip immediately condemned him to be burned at the stake, because that's what you do in the 14th century. Yeah. And here's the relevant part. So believe what you will of the shadowy black magic whispers about the Knight Templar. But as the fire grew and consumed de Molay, the Grandmaster, he lifted his face to the heavens and called down a curse on the King of France. Yeah. The kind of curse that would take the new unified France that Philip had bankrupted himself building and <laughs> smash it to pieces. Yeah. So let that image That's guide you go. for the rest of our story. <laughs> so let's rejoin the escape, shall we? Right. Quick recap, when we last left our Genoese heroes, and I'm putting that in quotation marks because these are the same Genoese that flipped off a Mongol and then and ran away. And jumped in their cars. Yeah. And... So after starting a fight with the local Muslims in Tana that resulted in a Muslim man being stabbed to death, right. a Mongol Khan named Janabeg, who had declared himself protector of the Muslims, laid siege to the city, demanding the Genoese hand themselves over, which they didn't do. Instead, they got on their ships and raced the Mongols, who were on horseback, to the city of Kaffa. Right. Janabeg laid siege to Kaffa, but a third combatant entered the fray. Combatant. Again, combatant. Comp Words. You're not very right? competent at saying combatant. <laughs> 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 anyway, <clears throat> a mysterious sickness being spread along the ancient Silk Road trading network made its way to the fields outside of Kaffa and began decimating the Mongol horde. <laughs> yep, they started coughing. Yep. And Kaffa's cheers quickly turned to lamentations as the sickness found its way into the city. Possibly by rats, <laughs> but more likely and spectacularly by Janabeg catapulting rotting corpses into the city. <laughs> I was thinking about that. That's <laughs> so... Like, just trying to imagine the sound it would make. Yeah. Like, would there be a whistling before it hit? <laughs> I my, I prefer to think of it like no warning, just like the wet thud. Yeah. Just, just like just... a... <laughs> <laughs> Somebody Man. like mowing their lawn or whatever they do, like scything their lawn. <laughs> I uh, gotta deal with that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so the Mongol siege and the sickness left Kaffa a smoldering, sickness-covered nightmare. Hmm. The population scrambled to get on ships and made their way back to their homeland, the Republic of Genoa. Genoa. Um, Genoa. Sorry. <laughs> Words. That's that's where we rejoin our story. Okay. But before we do that, I'm going to do an instant sidebar about your Cinea pestis, so I can stop dancing around what we're talking about. What are we talking about? We're talking about the one, the only. <laughs> The mother of all calamities that have ever stricken humanity, the Black Death. Da -da -da -da. Also known as the Great Mortality to uh -huh. medieval Europeans and the name of the book. Yeah. The Year of Annihilation to medieval Muslims and the Plague the to plague. modern day listeners not interested in dramatic titles. <laughs> so I recommend picking one of the other three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go big. So we're going to leap, leap ahead a little bit of 14th century medical knowledge and I'll come back to what medicine was like in the 14th century. I'll put medicine in quotation marks there. Yeah. So if you remember, we spent a lot of time setting up rodents as the plague vectors. Uh-huh. But you might be thinking to yourself, wait, I thought viruses don't typically cross species. Yeah, I guess Viruses, turns out, don't typically cross species. And that's because the plague agent for the Black Plague is a bacterium called Yersinia pestis. Hmm. Right off the bat, it's immediately terrifying because it's facultatively anaerobic. And that just basically means that it uses oxygen, but if there's no oxygen, it doesn't need it. So it can Weird. survive prolonged periods without actually needing oxygen. Yeah, I don't need it. So terrifying. Okay. Right away. Show off. It can infect 
humans through the bites of fleas. So infection by Yersinia pestis can cause three forms of plague. First one is bubonic plague. And I'm sure you've heard of that. I was going to ask, okay, I'm glad is, you brought that up. Yeah. So I was like, Isn't it called that too? Yeah, Go it on. is. Okay. Bubonic plague. This is likely what, if you remember what killed Kutluk and Magnukalka. You remember mm -hmm. that story oh, yeah. that I took from the book? Vividly. Yeah, so that's that's probably what they had. So the oriental rat flea, uh, Xenopsilla cheopsis, that's like the official name, but just call it the oriental rat flea. Sure. It bites an infected terabagon. You remember the terabagon yep. plague vectors? Rodents. Those marmots. So... It'll bite one of them. Yeah. And because they were overpopulated everywhere, they overlapped with populations of rats. So once the terabagons started to die off because of the plague, mm. these fleas would move to rats and they would bite the rats. Okay. Uh, and these rats, they kind of like the rat population obviously overlaps with the human population yeah. and don't necessarily interpret that in the past sense because rats are still overlapping the human population just because we don't see them right now. I'm sure there's rats. They're there. There's rats within a, probably a smaller sphere of you right now than you would think. Yeah. So the rat population, because it overlaps with human populations, once the rats start to die off, the fleas jump to humans. Hmm. So the rat flea would be infected by Yersinia pestis and have its digestive system blocked by the bacteria. It basically grows in its gut. Hmm. And then when the flea tries to bite a person, say, instead of being able to suck blood out, it just regurgitates the bacteria <laughs> into the person. Which is gross. Gross. You're being barfed in by a flea. You're being barfed into by a bug <laughs> God. who doesn't realize that it can't do the thing it's trying to do, you yeah. stupid bug. Stupid bug. God. And Yersinia pestis doesn't kill the flea, so the flea just goes on its merry way. <laughs> it's like immune to it. Yeah. The bacteria then finds its way to your lymph nodes, and usually the ones under your armpits or near the groin. So again, Kutluk and Magnukalka, you remember Kutluk had that growth on his like right. belly button area, like it's groin. The vomit button. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't push that. Don't touch it. <clears throat> so they basically, the bacteria sets up shop in the lymph nodes and starts to reproduce. And they create that uh, telltale swelling bubo Hence, bubonic plague. Mm. So those lumps are called bubos. I got a bubo. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's a little bit worse than a... A bubo. bubo. Yeah. If you wake up one morning with a painful egg-sized growth in your armpit or inner thigh, uh, worry. <laughs> okay. I mean, worry anyway, but worry specifically about the plague. In order, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not worried about this. Yeah. And the worst part is, is that these bubos can rupture. If you remember Kutluk's gurgling mass or whatever, yeah. that's it His getting so rattle. swollen with bacteria that it can actually rupture, which is gross. <laughs> gross. So a normal healthy body produces phagocytic cells to attack foreign agents. Right. So basically like you have your, uh, I think they're T cells, they can go and attack bacteria and viruses and yeah, destroy yeah. them. Some infections like viruses have evolved mechanisms to evade these cells and how they target them. Sneaky. Yersinia pestis takes it one step further and it can actually infect those phagocytic cells and destroy them. Oh. So your I'm immune system is basically, forget Shh. it. Forget it's it. Fooled, you fooled it. So a bit of a timeline. So for the bubonic form, within seven days of exposure, you get flu-like symptoms. So chills, nausea, fever. Eventually you start getting gangrene in the extremities and making them appear black. Mm. As in... Black death. Black death. Eventually, you'll get vomiting blood, bloody anal leakage, <laughs> coughing, and then the inconceivable pain of flesh dying on your bone while you're still alive. So that's <laughs> that's not great. And then you're dead within 10 days. Oh, is that all? Only in about 60% of cases. So like there, you can, you it's can survivable. Oh God. Right. I'd rather die. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's bonus points to be awarded because Yersinia pestis can also spread to the lungs, causing pneumonic plague, the second form. Pneumonic plague. Yeah. So it's uh, it's basically like another step in the horror ladder. 
Uh-huh. So <laughs> it can spread from the buboes, can move to the lungs, basically. Right. So within seven days of being infected with the pneumonic plague, you get nausea, fever, and weakness, followed by chest pain, a bloody cough, and shortness of breath as the bacteria grows in your lungs. Mm. And then you die within four days. And <sighs> it's virtually guaranteed, almost like 100% mortality rate. And that's the one to get. That's, well... I'm rooting for pneumonic. Okay, well, there's... Unless- there's, there's a third one. Oh, there's a third, there's a third option. Oh, okay. Save your votes. Uh, Save your votes for your favorite form <laughs> of the plague. Hear the whole question. Yeah. So basically, it's, it's horrific not just because of the decreased timeline and increased mortality, but the bubonic plague is spread by a single vector. So uh, basically, rat flea bites an infected rodent, and then the the flea bites a human. Yeah. Now the human has the plague. Yeah. For the pneumonic plague, it's airborne. So uh, now you can be infected by breathing the same air as someone who has the pneumonic plague. Wow. Yeah. It's spread on droplets and coughs. and That's a variety of... Uh, there's a lot of ways to get sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. The third form of plague, uh, and my personal favorite, okay. is septicemic plague. So this is like oh, top rung horror. Right. So it's the least common form, but the most terrifying. It can be caused as a result of the bubonic plague infection. And it's also transmissible through contacts with open wounds or inhaling droplets from sneezes or coughs. Yeah. You can get it from bu- the bubonic form because as those buboes rupture, yeah. the bacteria can get into your bloodstream. Okay. Symptoms include subcutaneous bleeding, so bleeding under your skin, bleeding from the mouth, nose, and rectum, diarrhea, fever, nausea, organ <laughs> failure, tissue necrosis, so tissue dying on the bone, and difficulty breathing. If you get to the point of having symptoms at all, because typically you're looking at death within 14 hours. Oh, 14 hours, not even a day. Is you a can juggernaut. Get, you can get septicemic plague in the evening and not wake up. Oh my God. Yep. What and happens? 100% He's going mortality. To a coma? Just, it just destroys, it shuts you down because you die your of blood fail. loss from your mouth, nose, and rectum and shitting yourself to death that and, quick. Yeah. It's in your blood. Like it shuts all your organs down. Anyway, plague still exists today. Some of the forms are responsive to antibiotics. Yeah. But there's no fully effective vaccine because it's a bacterial infection. And also maybe nobody has fooled any young boys into being injected with rat scabs. If you remember, (laughs) if you remember smallpox in Mexico, when we talked about the smallpox vaccine, right? the guy who invented vaccines basically told kids, he he like scraped the scabs off (laughs) cow udders and then injected them into little kids. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> so I for, somehow I forgot about that detail. Yeah. Re-listen to the smallpox in Mexico <laughs> episode. <laughs> Jeez, but anyway, yeah, it's worth mentioning. All three variants were on overdrive in the 14th century, so they all exist today still. But it seems that they were even more potent in the time period that we're talking. Sure. About. So I've got just some quotes about one account. Breath spread the infection among those speaking together. And it seemed as if the victims were struck all at once by the affliction and were shattered by it. Victims violently coughed up blood, and after three days of incessant vomiting for which there was no remedy, they died. Mm-hmm. And with them died not only everyone who talked with them, but also anyone who had acquired or touched or laid hands <laughs> on their belongings. Wow. So you and everyone you know are <laughs> fucked. Anyone you ever <clears throat> came in contact with. Yeah. So you might be asking yourself, this Genoese fleet who's sailing home to... Genoa. You got it. <laughs> Genoa. So how did anyone survive if there's even one person with the plague on board right. this, any of these ships? It's possible that it's lucky genes. So there's this genetic allele that's been associated with potential immunity mm-hmm. to the plague. Okay. It's called CCR5 Delta 32. We gotcha. might have mentioned that I have a biology background, so I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm going to be a little bit of a nerd about this and then we'll move on. So CCR5 is a gene that codes for a receptor on immune cells. Yes. And it's actually required for HIV to infect a host. 
But CCR5 delta 32 means that there's a mutation in the gene that's coding this receptor, and that basically makes it impossible for HIV to bind. So this receptor needs to exist in a certain form for HIV to infect you, and if it's mutated in a certain way, HIV can't infect you. So people mm. that have this mutation are immune from HIV, which is pretty awesome for them. Yeah. So it's hypothesized that this same mutation might confer resistance to the plague. Okay. And some research takes it even further and they say that the Black Death filtered out large portions of the population that didn't have this mutation. In other words, the plague helped the mutation take hold and resulted in a current presence of the immunity to HIV. Hmm. But that's kind of controversial. Okay. So anyway, that's one explanation how anyone could have survived the trip home. Maybe it was just a slow progression as well. If everyone is getting bubonic plague and they're getting infected one after the other, maybe it just didn't wipe everyone out before they got home. Right. Just as a, to paint you a picture, and the book does a good, the, the book that I read does a good job painting this. So as these Words. ships leave Kaffa, yes. one of the voyagers wakes up feeling sick. Uh, that's is weird. likely to happen because you're leaving a sickness ravaged city. Yeah. So he falls asleep and another passenger steals his flea infested blanket. <laughs> those same fleas. Them right. Exactly. Those are the same fleas that have been feasting on the plague infected rats below deck that we uh, talked about uh, last time. Uh, uh, so now the second passenger wakes up <laughs> feeling sick. And now you get panic in the confines of a ship at sea and everyone is freaking out. You have murders, executions, and men being thrown overboard. And this continues until everyone is too weakened by the sickness to do anything but lie on the deck, feverish, coughing, vomiting, and shitting blood. <laughs> so they made it all the way back. All the way back? Well, yeah. So let's talk. I'm going to I'm gonna start a timeline now. Okay. So now we're talking about October 1347. All right. So by then, Genoa had heard rumors from the East. They knew of a sickness and of the death fleet that was spreading it. <laughs> and they were like, but they won't come here, right? Surely they wouldn't. Surely they, they're not that stupid. <laughs> I mean, of course not. They'll be bigger than that. Let's see how that goes. So the Genoese fleet fleeing Kaffa left a trail of destruction. Uh -huh. So anyone sailing from Kaffa to Europe, for example, they have to make landfall at Constantinople, now called Istanbul. Right. So it's that. a major port along the passage from the Black Sea to the Sea of Marmara. And then you sail on to the Aegean Sea and then through to the Mediterranean. Yeah. So shortly after the Genoese fleet passed through Constantinople... <laughs> Some estimates say that 90% of the population of Constantinople was cut down by the plague <laughs> that they left in the wake. Bunch of pricks. Right? Stay on your... St Man. This is going to be... Quarantine was it's, it's not so much a thing back then. Not really. And you don't really understand plague vectors. And this just rings so many bells for me having a young kid in daycare. Oh, God. Where it's just, you know, he comes home and he coughs once and you're like, there goes my week. There we go. <laughs> I didn't vomit until, I mean, the last time I threw up was in high school and I didn't do it again until I had my daughter and she gave us Norwalk, she gave us a little Norwalk to chew oh, on. That's a disaster. Yeah, it is. <laughs> As we talk about the Black Death. Yeah, that was the worst. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, I've got some quotes here from the scholar Dimitrios Kidones. All right. Every day we bring out our friends for burial. Every day the city becomes emptier and the number of graves increases. Men inhumanely shun each other's company for fear of contagion. That'll come up again. Uh -huh. And fathers do not dare bury their own sons. Hmm. And this is just the ships passing through Istanbul. <laughs> As they left, Yersinia Pestis then kind of, uh, the infection spread north from Constantinople through Greece, Bulgaria, and Romania. And I just mentioned that now because we won't necessarily talk about those in detail. But basically, <laughs> it seeded it in Istanbul and just got immediately like spread like upwards. The Indiana Jones map, little yeah. trail, and then <laughs> yeah. skull and crossbones on the trail. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You ever Follows play that a road. Uh, cell phone game, Plague Inc.? Yes. 
It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got all those lovely symptoms you were Wouldn't talking about, Wouldn't you know too. it? Wouldn't mm-hmm. you know it? That's what, probably where it came from. Probably. Oh, definitely. So this likely happened countless times along the way back from Kaffa because traveling by sea at this point was still treacherous. So you'd typically sail for three or four days and then put into a port, yeah. restock, and then leave. All right. So basically imagine <laughs> every time this ship touches land, it's yeah. basically seeding hey, another plague. welcome. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> we're good. I mean... <clears throat> Like, how do you explain, like, hey, guys, you know, there's these little tiny things you can't see called germs. Yeah. And when you touch me and then like, be like, hey, fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I bleed out of my ass. I want to go home. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into some of the medicinal thinking about this. Um, can't wait. <laughs> Later on. <laughs> the causes are particularly interesting. Uh-huh. The Genoese landed in the port of Messina, Sicily, eventually. And a Franciscan friar named Michel de Piazza chronicled their arrival. So they showed up in October 1347, roughly at the beginning of the month, and a dozen of these Genoese galleys put into port in Messina. Mm-hmm. Nothing seemed really out of the ordinary until the ships docked, dropped their gangplanks, and zombified crews <laughs> staggered out of the ships. <laughs> Got a quote here from De Piazza. Basically, picture zombies. Yeah. So De Piazza, they carried such a disease in their bodies that if anyone so much as spoke with one of them, he was infected and could not avoid death. <laughs> Wouldn't you just run the other way? Which way to the market? Yeah, yeah. Foot. Okay. You, which way to the market? (laughs) Just killing everyone as he goes along. It sounds like a cartoon. People immediately began getting sick. Right. And we know, and you know what immediately means at this point. If if they have pneumonic plague, like speaking to, doesn't, you don't even need to cough. You just need to be talking close close enough that you can get Some air gets in your face. Yeah, got some more quotes from Tobiazza. A sort of boil the size of a lentil erupted on the thigh or arm. Then the victims violently coughed up blood. Hmm. I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. After three days of incessant vomiting, for which there was no remedy, they died. I don't know why I'm so cheery with these quotes. You got to be upbeat. You know, I guess so. In life. With them <laughs> died not only everyone who had talked to them, but also anyone who acquired, <laughs> touched, or laid hands on their belongings. So Wow. Steer clear. <laughs> it's hard to really know the severity of this stuff, but it's, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, we sit here like, oh, dummies, why don't they run away? This, but, I mean, what would you do? I don't know. Well, like, the thing is. They've seen worse than that probably, like, what sure. are we, 14th century? Yeah. Say? Constant war. It's not like it's. This is still a time when you <laughs> assume that you're probably going to die by someone else's hand. Exactly. Yeah. It was a normal thing. It's yeah. not like present day. Connecticut. Yeah, like, right. Ew, look at him. Yeah, yeah. He's all bloody. Like, yeah. everyone's bloody. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're all bleeding out our ass. Yeah, I looked like that yesterday. Get in line. I'm fine. Quit your crying. <laughs> I don't know what the line's for. I don't know what the line is Get for. Get in line. <laughs> so plague, plague spread throughout Messina like wildfire. Right. And again, we're in Sicily, so that little island off the boot. The, yeah, yeah. So it was the likely deal. mnemonic, given the accounts, because... Uh, it's just spreading so how, rapidly. How, yeah. Basically, anyone you talk to is infected. So that's probably <laughs> airborne. the airborne one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <and> it, had, <laughs> it had plenty of time to become mnemonic on the journey over. Sure. So Messina kicked the ships out as soon as they knew what was happening. <laughs> but it's kind of too late at this Day point. Day late and a dollar short. Much exactly. <laughs> the city became quieter and quieter, and it was reduced to the kind of ghost town that we've encountered before in the Egyptian famine, uh-huh. in uh, the Great Famine of 1315 that we talked about in the first part of this episode. Yeah. Except even ghostlier. Like, people are just dying because, because of the pace, right? If sure. you're starving to death, that takes some time. It's still awful. Yeah, yeah. But this is killing you sometimes in four days. Drop. Drop. Yeah. 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 
The thing is, though, the plague doesn't necessarily, on a larger scale, on the geographic scale, it doesn't necessarily tear through a continent like wildfire, but it's more of a slow march. Okay. Like a slow, relentless march. Yeah. And uh, I've got actually an interesting analogy. So in The Great Mortality, the book by John Kelly, so he likens an area being struck by the plague to the bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Okay. Because basically it, it kind of hits like a bomb out of nowhere. Like this, this Messina was fine and then yeah. the ship showed up and now everyone is screwed. Right. right. And it's also death on a scale that has never been seen before. Like right. you have, you have battles, but maybe the biggest ones are killing 10,000 people. Well, yeah. I but mean, now you're wiping out like a half or three quarters or yeah. an entire city. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So it's hundreds of thousands on a time scale way shorter than anything's been seen before. It also destroys entire networks of people, like business partnerships, right. families, Markets. generations yeah. of families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually one account from Messina, quote, a man wanting to make his will died along with the notary, the priest who heard his <laughs> confession, and the people summoned to witness his will. Oh. And they were all buried together the following day. <laughs> so like you so can't even, killed? you're trying to prepare for the worst and then the worst happens and you're not <laughs> yeah, even prepared anymore because exactly. everyone involved is dead. <laughs> Man, it takes no prisoners. No. When the plague was through with Sicily in 1348, the island was littered with corpses. And before that, the Genoese plague fleet peaked over the horizon and floated towards Genoa on October mm. 1347. Later that Welcome month. Welcome back. Yeah, well. So the first group that showed up was turned away at port. They didn't even make it there. And they basically scattered. And some likely landed in Marseille, which we'll talk about. And others continued along the coastline. Okay. They so, were turned away. Yeah. The just first, the when they showed they up in October. In? Yeah. Like, goodbye. Yeah. Nope. They just didn't let him in. Nope. I think Genoa nope. kind of had an inkling. So when these ships showed up, they're like, nah. Had word gotten out that there was... There's there's this whole time there's rumors, but there's right. no Facebook. So yeah. you hear about <laughs> just like, yeah, people are, you know, there's this there's no devastating Twitter. plague. It's like, yeah, it's the 14th century. Yeah, Everything's so. devastating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had Fires pl- raining from the sky. It's Tuesday. Exactly. Of course I had it is. plague for breakfast. So in December 1347, more infected ships appeared near Genoa. Mm-hmm. The city did what it could to drive these ships away, firing burning arrows and other projectiles from catapults. <laughs> Basically like, get the- Go away! <laughs> <laughs> But this time it was not good enough and some ships actually made it to port. Right. They're like, we don't care. I have nothing to lose. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Please set me on fire. I just want to see my family again (laughs) so I can kill them. Well, actually that's one of the, one of the explanations is likely they just wanted to see their home one last time. Sure. Little did they know they were lighting a, like if you, if Europe was a map made on like thick paper, (laughs) they're lighting a match at the bottom of it by landing in Genoa. Selfish. Yeah. So the historical accounts about the plague in Genoa are kind of sparse. Okay. which in some ways is even creepier because right. imagine like a city going silent. The well, ships there was land. no one really there to report it. Exactly. Because they died. Yeah, so <laughs> it's sort of, yeah. It's basically, telling. it's like, has anyone heard from Genoa in a while? <laughs> no? Okay. It's probably fine. It's not like Italians to be quiet. Let's, uh... uh. <laughs> oh, because, uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I'm in trouble now. Yeah, well... That's that's a you problem. That's yeah. a you disaster. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. This is actually an interesting time to talk a little bit about the human component that'll come up a few times. So the modern medical guidelines for protecting yourself against the plague, they're kind of funny. Uh-huh. The modern guideline is to avoid contact with individuals suspected of being infected with the plague. It's a good first step. Yeah. So they didn't necessarily <laughs> know this in the 14th century, but they had an inkling that contact spread it 
as you could tell from like I the mean, previous just, thing. Yeah. But still, like for all the historical accounts, and we'll go through several more, of people abandoning their families for fear of contracting the plague, there's just as many tales of people that actually rush to the aid of friends and family to like help them along the way. It usually doesn't end super <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. you know? It's in, but, your heart's in the right place. Right. But, but you have like stories of friends nursing their plague-stricken friends as they died, which, you know, mm. the smart thing or the logical thing to do is run away but you know you still have this resilience in the face of right you know you don't want to be a coward right and also you have stories of notaries staying in their offices drafting wills as the city died around them which doesn't necessarily seem it's not as romantic well i don't know it's it's not as romantic as like a friend rushing to a friend's side to nurse them as no. they die of the plague no. but it's still an important role because you're talking about large sums of money and you want to make sure that they get transferred to the right family That's members true. and so there is that human component that shows up a lot. There's not like a complete abandonment of all of society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Per se. Right. So, yeah. So that was December. Now let's talk about January 1348. Okay. Just one month over. Okay. So the plague works its way north. By January 1348, it was in Venice, mm. which is uh, on the east coast in northern Italy. Yep. Venice locked their shit down. Aha. Uh, they set up an action committee to stem the great mortality, as they called it. All right. So all the ships coming into the port were inspected, and if they found rats or corpses on board, they would just shove them out to sea and light them on fire. Nice. So that's, yeah, that'll do it. Take an action. <laughs> I like it. They basically barred all alcohol sales and Ooh. shut down, uh, basically shut down like pubs to promote public order. Okay. I'm not sure if that promotes that's... order or disorder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> promotes grumpiness. Yeah, right. right. And they also had death gondolas. So basically they would uh, patrol the canals shouting, uh, Corpi Morti. Basically bring out your dead. Nice. And then residents, basically residents had to like throw corpses out their windows down onto the barges or they'd be penalized. So. Okay. They had a system. Nice. Still, plague doesn't really fuck around. And by the spring, Venice was being overrun by corpses. So the city council had to ban mourning clothes. Like people clothes for mourning. They had to yeah. ban it because of morale because everyone was just walking around wearing black. So they're like, you know what, guys? We get it. No more black clothes. No more black. Look, everyone's dead. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's dying. It's it's. Oh, you're sad? You're sad? We're all sad. Yeah. <laughs> We're all dead or dying. The death toll apparently at the peak would reach 600 people a day, which... it's a lot. Yeah. And we'll talk about the ultimate mortality figures at the end of the... at the end of this episode. Okay. But still, 600 people a day... Like, how many people were in your high school? I can't... Not that many, I don't yeah. think. So that's... But I can't really picture 600 people. Yeah, you can't, you can't even picture 600 Let's people. Let's say two high schools yeah. a day. Yeah. Just dead. Done. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's Venice a who with. had a plan. <laughs> so by spring 1348, the plague had reached Pisa, which is on the West Coast. All right. Had that tower. I think it was straight at this point. Eh. Was it? I don't, I don't know. know. At least there wasn't a ton of tourists pretending to like hold it up with but their yeah. hands. Yeah. It's clever. I love those pictures of people that like <laughs> fuck with people trying to There's take that like picture. five people doing it. That? Yeah. Or, or like somebody be like, take the picture and someone purposely takes it off or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and you just look like an You're idiot. not getting away with this. Anyway, Pisa was a gateway to the network of roads and rivers that connected mainland Italy. Mm. So at this point, we're going to start seeing the consequences of these Genoese ships 
landing in a port yeah. that is well networked to right. the rest of the, co- the, rest of the conduits sea. of food and such. So basically plague is kind of done with the sea now. It keeps going. These these ships are still out there, uh-huh. but now it kind of like makes a drive inland and to the rest of Europe, which right. we'll see. So Italy was the gateway. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. kind of where it started. Yeah. There's a few parallel paths, but Italy's oh, okay. like the, the bulk of these early stories are about Italy because that's really where the, a lot of the fire started. Where those stupid, dumb... <laughs> Stupid Go to hell, Mongol, right? And run for the hills. Yeah, basically. Jerks. Don't start fights in marketplaces with people way tougher than you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were a few different reactions to the plague, uh, and they varied from town to town. So in Florence, they expelled prostitutes and sodomites. <laughs> Good start. Like Sh- sure, something. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, they find anyone visiting from Pisa or Genoa. You got a fine? Yeah. You gotta, if you're from Pisa or Genoa, they're like, get out of here. And you oh, get like a fine. A, oh, and yeah. yeah. And give me two lira. You basically. Okay. And they established a health commission with military powers. So if they see anything that's kind of uh, against the health codes, they had the power to enforce it, like physically. With a bow and arrow. Basically. Oh, like you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't clean your shit up. I'm going to clean you up <laughs> kind of thing. Pistoria. They established uh, rules that you couldn't move corpses until they were nailed inside a coffin. Again, smart. Hmm. Uh, the graves had to be dug two and a half arms length deep. So basically making sure that you bury corpses deep enough. Yeah. And they basically banned funeral bells being rung at churches to keep morale up. Okay. Because otherwise- It would just- <laughs> Ring it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> imagine just every Depressing minute of every day. and annoying. Dun, dun. <laughs> I get it. Oh, did everyone's else die? dying. Who's even ringing the bell at this point? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wish he would die. <laughs> and then he did. And then he did. In Siena, uh, they were more preoccupied with getting their local university a nationally accredited status. So they wow. didn't really care so much about the plague. They probably would care when all said and done, they suffered an 84% death rate from the mortality, <laughs> but you know. Well, you got to get that in university credit. Worry about university first. That's yeah. important. And then in Orvieto, they basically ignored the problem altogether, hoping it would go away. <laughs> go away. Instead, the city went away they to w- the tune of 90% more. <laughs> so, you know what? You go away. Maybe take it seriously. Yeah. Let's talk about Florence particularly, because there's a lot of historical records okay. about the plague in Florence. All right. So speaking of morale, living with the plague hanging over your head like the sword of Damocles probably makes people do different things. Mm. So you'd have, for example, this group of people called the Bikini, and they were basically a gang of grave diggers. <laughs> but they kind of got overzealous and they would go around kicking down people's doors, demanding ransoms under the threat of rape and murder. <laughs> so I'm not sure how it escalated at that point, but maybe for... <laughs> business is good. So they're feeling hyped about You're going to dig everything. your own grave? I don't think so. Give me money. I'm not even dead yet. You don't work a shovel? <laughs> oh, you do? But- What's worse were the plague pits. The plague pits. Yeah. So does the name Giovanni Boccaccio ring a bell? So he was a 14th century writer. He wrote a book called The Decameron. Okay. It's a collection of short stories about the time of the plague, basically. Hmm. I think it's it's kind of like a group, a collection of tales told by this group of 10 people that decide to go into the countryside to avoid this plague going on. It's fiction, but it's inspired by the events of the plague. He has a section talking about the plague pits. Quote, Such was the multitude of corpses that huge trenches were excavated in the churchyards into which new arrivals were placed in the hundreds, stored tier upon tier like ship's cargo, each layer of corpses being covered with a thin layer of soil till the trench was filled to the top. (laughs) So it's really a point, you get to a point where... 
Like we want to give everyone a proper burial, but there's just so many people. Yeah, listen. Big one, big one. Got to do this wholesale. Yeah. <laughs> so the pits had serious psychological effects on the people of Florence okay. and pretty much anywhere else Why? they show up. And they'll show up, they'll show up everywhere because this is death on a scale that's unimaginable. Like we said, you can't even imagine 600 people a day. Uh-huh. Your, your high school a day dies. <laughs> Towards the end of the Middle Ages, death is starting to be viewed as a sacred personal experience. It's kind of like a time to take stock of your life and assess the meaning of life and life in general. <laughs> These plague pits kind of are the opposite of that in every way. <laughs> there's no like peaceful reflective passing on to the next realm. Now, there's an unceremonious chucking of your boil-addled, blood-caked corpse onto a pile of hundreds of nearly identical bodies. <laughs> Each shovel of dirt thrown onto you casts you further and further into anonymity. And there's no family crypts, no headstones, and nothing to indicate that you're there, basically. Kind of puts it all into perspective, so, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's personal or it's highly anonymous. Yeah. And you're <laughs> just in meaningless. a bit of bones <laughs> yeah. with everyone else. Yeah. Like I mentioned, these plague pits, they, fir- they kind of first show up in the records in Florence, but they follow the plague around, basically. Right. Because there's no other real practical way, practical it's dark to say, but there's no practical way to deal with the number of corpses that are being generated. Well, that's just it. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. And a lot of that, that comes up a few times. Like you, you get instances of, we saw this in the plague of Athens even, where you have these sacred religious ceremonies. Yeah. But you get to a point where people are like. <laughs> Chucking. That's good enough. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. We'll just, I'm out of here. Amen. <laughs> Chuck that body outside the city, please. Give me Thank some more you. potpourri so yeah, I can yeah. sniff it and not get the plague. Stick it up my nose. Yeah, basically. <laughs> So the total mortality in Florence was about 50%. So 50,000 out of the 100,000 population. Doing better than some. Yeah, yeah. There were other casualties though. Order in the city held for the most part. And this this is another thing that, like the the plague shows up and it doesn't just completely destroy society. Uh Like things still function, but you just have these massive death tolls. Right. So anyway, order holds, but city officials stole a fortune from inheritances and estates because obviously wills can't keep up. And like, if you've got a will that says that all your money goes to your daughter, but then your daughter dies on the same day you do. And now it goes nowhere. Officials are like, no, just have some of that. It's ours now. Yeah. Keep it for you. So there is a ton more we could say about Italy because we haven't even talked about Rome, but uh, I'd like to keep this podcast shorter than four hours. So Fair if you enough. really want to go deep like I did, read The Great Mortality by John Kelly. Book. It's a great book. Now I'm going to talk about the plague in France. Because ah. you remember how I said that those ships kept going along the coast? Yep. So it likely started What's in next? France by a visit from these ships to Marseille <sighs> in November 1347. Okay. They, if you remember, got turned away from the port in Genoa and they continued along the coast. And over the course of a year, half the population of Marseille would die. <laughs> Just from like a visit from these ships. So they weren't as <clears throat> untrusting as the Genoese. Basically. They were like, shoot. Yeah. Shoot, 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 shoot. Get out of here. <laughs> no fiery arrows in no. that port. So before I go deeper into what happens in Marseille and the rest of France, I'm going to do a quick sidebar about France and Europe, the shithole. even before the great famine of 1314 rocked Europe. You remember that one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Europe was already a terrible place to live. Okay. For beginners, the garbage situation was so intense that it flared tempers to the point of murder. (laughs) There are several accounts of altercations about what garbage belongs to who ending in violence and death. Nice. And now probably a body is part of that garbage. Yeah. So that just adds to the mess. (laughs) That's your grandma. (laughs) 
<laughs> Medieval Paris was as populated by cattle, goats, and chickens as it was by people. Wow. Because people just bring their livestock right. into the city. Unchecked. Officially, owners were responsible to deal with the waste and to police the animals. But, I mean, picture policing a cow in Paris. Right. Like, yeah, Point, I'm going to follow my... and boring. I'm going to follow my herd of cows around with a... <laughs> with a shovel. Yeah. I got I got more important things to worry about. Bessie. Yeah. Go left. Yeah. Go oh, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Shit wherever you want. Yeah. It's not someone else's problem. I quit. So inevitably I mean, I still collect a check, but unofficially. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Inevitably these animals would also die. And the city, so it's basically crowded and you have minimal infrastructure for dealing with garbage. You have right. dog catchers that would just kill stray dogs and leave the bodies in the street. <laughs> And because like all this livestock and dogs and all these other animals are dying and nobody really around to deal with it because you don't have the infrastructure, <laughs> you basically have rotting animal carcasses marinating in the sun yes, and excrement. Of various sizes. And excrement. And, ex and their poop. And excrement. <laughs> and boy, was there excrement. And a lot of poop. Chamber pots were ubiquitous at this point. Uh -huh. City ordinance in London dealing with the disposal of human waste required you to yell, look out below three <laughs> times. And that's the bylaw dealing with human waste, <laughs> right? So to clarify, we're literally throwing our shit out the window. Yeah. That's how you deal with After your- After three yeah. cries of look at, I mean, that's fair. It's, yeah. It's like letting the phone ring five <laughs> times. Like, ah, they're not home. <laughs> After three times, you probably deserve it. Yeah. It's on you. Literally. <clears throat> uh, uh, Sorry. So there, there was a gutter system. Uh -huh. But they were woefully inadequate. So mm. as sophisticated as Roman plumbing was, right. it was basically lost to time. Oh. At this point, the typical urban waste system was composed of shallow open gutters along the edges of streets. Uh -huh. So that's where the first wave of shit would go. Right. Then they would empty into larger central gutters along bigger streets. Okay. And then those would lead to a central dumping point. <laughs> Usually these dumping points would be something like the Thames or the Seine. So just like... Into your water source. Oh, great. That's where all the shit goes. But after a bunch of filters and, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had those for sure. Oh, except, yeah. Except they really didn't. Oh, they, they really, really didn't. didn't. So there water. was no universal flushing power, per se. Right. Sometimes you're near a river that you could use to kind of like use the current as a flushing away kind of thing. Yeah. Usually this kind of system would rely on gravity, which means one dry day <laughs> and the whole system is caked and bogged in feces. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get like a subsequent rain that would kind of push it along, but it was never really flushed out, if no. you know what I mean. If, if you can no. picture what I'm saying. So you li have literally weak old shit sitting right outside your front door at all times. A little sprinkle is not going to no. take care of it. It'll like loosen it enough to make it gross. And then yeah, it'll solidify much. again. Yeah. yeah. Not going anywhere. But don't worry. Enough human waste made it to the rivers to make the rivers filthy too. Oh, so good. That's good. <laughs> fancier households all though, around. Yeah, right. Yeah. So basically fancier households would build themselves privies. So you'd uh -huh. have like an indoor place to poo. Yeah. Except they would build these by suspending boards over alleyways. Okay. And then building the privy on there. And then you would basically take a dump into the alley and Literally then it's someone else's problem. crapping on the poor. Yeah. Literally <laughs> crapping on the poor and then it's someone else's problem. Sorry about that, old boy. <clears throat> yep. It's Did out of my house. they say look out below three times before they... <laughs> I don't think... Actually, that's good. That's a good technicality. I wonder if that's a way to shut it down. I said it. Yeah, we should go back and check. Also, let's not forget the war. The constant war. This is a time when... We're still at a time now where constant peace is a relatively new concept. Right. So war was frequent in the 14th century, but cleanup wasn't. 
Uh-huh. So you'd have relatively large bloody conflicts and then fields filled with rotting corpses baking in the sun. So with the ubiquitous garbage, carcasses, and filth came equally ubiquitous rats mm. and the fleas they carry and the bacteria stuff. they carry. I've read estimates that two black rats breeding continuously for three years can produce 330 million offspring. Oh, wow. That's under ideal conditions. <laughs> But two rats can make a lot of other rats. That's uh, and now you've got yeah. perfect conditions for rats. Mm, so this is it. this is the kind of thing that the plague is coming coming to visit. This utopia rat, of rat haven. Yeah, utopia of filth and of rats. Filth and vermin. At least people were keeping themselves clean, though. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. <laughs> You're on to me. Yeah. So early Christians considered bathing a temptation. <clears throat> not not like a vice per se, but it could lead to one. You don't want those warm baths. You don't know what happens in the bath. Awesome. Oh, you decadent, Uh evil person. Uh You clean skin (laughs) and soapy smell. Go worship the devil. Yeah. Who knows what a warm bath can lead to? Yeah. Mini sidebar, Kellogg's. Do you know the connection there? Yeah. You do? I've heard about this. John Harvey Kellogg? Yeah. Cornflakes? Yeah. So he invented cornflakes to be an an aphrodisiac. So literally to (laughs) discourage people from having a libido. (laughs) Because he thought that masturbation was worse than war or even plague, in his words. (laughs) Maybe he should have spent should a little have more time to our history podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the next time you grab a bowl of Kellogg's, keep in mind that this is the man who would combat masturbation by, well, first of all, he circumcised himself when he was 37. <laughs> and yeah, it, he would do that to other people without, without anesthesia to combat the scourge of masturbation. Instead anyway. of next time grabbing a bowl of Kellogg's, yeah. grab a whole little bowl of yourself. Yeah. Just to grab <laughs> shove in his face. Grab a bowl. Next time you're joins not... it for some cereal, <laughs> just go to town. Go to town. Oh, God. It, it's Ooh. not a very sexy food if you it's, think about it. It's not. Like no. mushy cornflakes <clears throat> and milk. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so St. Benedict <laughs> said at one point, to those who are well, and especially to the young, bathing shall seldom be permitted. So the church is basically saying, if you're healthy, no need to bathe. No need. No point. Kind of a missing the point there. If you're healthy, you don't need to bathe. If you're healthy, I'm healthy. Get because sick. Because I, <laughs> yeah. can I can I can I bathe, please? And actually, Edward the Third, he was chastised when he bathed three times in three months. Sure. So, what a fancy boy. Also, let's talk about the real cause of the plague: the Jews. Oh, of course. According to. 14th century year. That too, eh? Man, is there anything they <clears throat> don't cause? Apparently not if you listen to 14th century Europe. Right. So of course, the cause of the plague couldn't be a continent covered in rotting corpses marinating in excrement and no. unbathed humans intermingling with millions of plague-carrying rats. No. Obviously, Obviously, the plague was a Jewish plot against the Christians. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So remember the plague of Athens? Yep. Same kind of thing. You need someone to blame. Oh, this is the Athenians poisoning the wells, right? <sighs> this is this is the Jews poisoning the wells. The Jews and their rats. Now that wells are gone, I don't know how anyone's going to get blamed for anything anymore. Unfortunately, during the Black Death, this kind of led to a parallel man-made atrocity in many European cities. For example, in Toulon, France, which is east of Marseille, they raided their Jewish quarter and they destroyed houses, looted their belongings, and killed many of the residents. And killed is also an understatement. When I say killed, they cut entire families down and hung them from poles in the town square. 
Yeah, they go to town. Way to nip that in the bud, guys. Yeah, yep. well, and soon the violence against the Jews spread in a similar pattern to the Black Death. So we won't necessarily focus on it, but basically wherever you have Black Death ravaging a city, you probably have a pogrom against the Jews. <laughs> really? <clears throat> yeah. Good we'll come back God. to that a little bit, but read The Great Mortality, the book. It, it goes, goes into it in, in depth. Wow. But the take home is even when being slowly eaten alive by a relentless plague, humans can still be assholes to each other. <laughs> they still have the energy. <clears throat> yeah. Well. So as I promised, I think this is a good place for an intermission. So okay. let's have an intermission. And if you want to get up, get a drink. Take a break from the Black Death. Maybe uh, take some vitamin C. Yeah. <laughs> We're not stopping you from go pushing through. You know, keep going if you want. But if you're looking for a place to hit pause, do it in three, two, one. Welcome back. Hey. So let's pick up where we left off and talk about an existential crisis in the face of the plague. Uh, while we're going from bright topic to bright topic. Uh -huh. So like I mentioned, while the plague is ravaging Marseille, the rest of France is hearing rumors about the nightmares in the South. Mm. So the plague's approach gives you plenty of time to think about it. And just for a little bit of context, because it's been a little while since we've done context, the plague traveled from Pisa to Florence in two months. Okay. So it covered 70 kilometers in two months or 35 kilometers per month, yeah. which is 1.2 kilometers a day, which is about... 0 0.04 or 40 meters an hour. So you'd have to, you struggle to walk that slowly. Yeah. That's like, it's not uh, it's old not... people in a mall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not fast. No. But it is relentless. It'll, it'll get you. It'll get you. It'll get you. It's coming. It's like the villain in a horror movie just walks. Basically, it follows. It, fo it follows. It follows. The Black Death is it follows. Oh, Wrap I it finally up. understand that movie. Wrap it up. <laughs> So for context, an average pace on a bicycle is about 30 kilometers an hour. Running is 20 kilometers an hour and walking is five kilometers an hour. Okay. The plague is going 0 0.04 kilometers an hour. So you could outrun it. Yeah. Problem solved. So the distance from Marseille to Paris is about 660 kilometers, 410 miles, which means we're looking at about 18 months for the plague to travel from the south of France to Paris. Right. So you've got over a year, you got a year and a half to worry about the plague. Get the F out of Dodge. And the psychology of plague is kind of unlike the psychology of most other disasters, because for example, in war, you have a defined enemy and the ability to protect yourself yeah. in theory, yeah. to some extent. Yeah. With something like the plague, everyone is the enemy, <laughs> yeah. including and probably especially your family and yeah. the people you live with. Right? And nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Exactly. <laughs> so really that's saying no man is an island. <laughs> Except in the plague. And then every man is an island. Yeah. Kind of. And, and not to mention, on top of that, add to that the corpse-eating pigs. The corpse-eating pigs? Did I not mention the corpse-eating no, pigs? No, I don't oh, think okay, he well, did. So. No, would remember that. <clears throat> so en route to France, the plague passed through Avignon. Oh. When the majority of your population is killed by a plague, not many people are left to tend the fields. So you might as well bury your dead there. Sure. There's also not that many people left to tend to the pig pens. Mm. 
And what do pigs eat if they're hungry enough? Well, as we all know from Snatch. Yeah. Anything. Anything. Including <laughs> people. They will go through bone like <laughs> butter. And they sure did, because okay. at night they would root through the corpse-filled mud. So there's not a lot of psychological boosts going around at this point. Okay. You basically have impending plague and stories about things like these corpse-eating pigs digging through fields and eating your former friends. <clears throat> yeah. And then in 1348, the plague arrived in Paris in the summer. And Paris was empty because they knew the plague was coming, so they all left. Yep. Where would they go, though? This is the thing. This is why I think a plague is cool in the same way that I like movies about demons. Okay. Because a movies, like movies about ghosts, for example, you can bargain with a ghost. A ghost is haunting something for a reason. Yeah. Usually you discover that reason and you the gotta, ghost is released onto the next exactly. realm or whatever. To solve the murder of the child ghost yeah. and it goes away. Demons, like in The Exorcist, Pazuzu doesn't want anything other than to ruin everyone's day. Yeah, he's a jerk. Spoiler about Hereditary, if you haven't seen it already. Payman doesn't want anything other than to come into this realm yes. and probably wreak havoc, right? Yes. There's no bargaining. There's no like, oh, I've discovered his true, his no, the true meaning of a demon is to ruin your day. Yeah. Just like too. with this, it's like, where are you going to run? Nowhere. It's going to get you. Yeah. There's no, it's, it follows, like you said, the movie. Yeah, you can't bargain with it and you can't do nothing. Yeah. In addition to the kind of carnage that you already imagine is caused in Paris by the plague showing up, it also helped to reshape the medical profession. <laughs> Calling medieval medicine in the first place, quote unquote, medicine is generous. It's cute. Basically, at this point, we're talking about bloodletting, folk wisdom, and superstition. All right. Uh, and those that actually practiced medicine basically saw themselves more like, like they'd, they'd be in the same ranks as butcher and carpenter <laughs> butcher carpenter and practitioner of medicine <laughs> yeah yeah and bullshit artist basically well there's a demon living in your skull so yeah. we're going to let it out yeah with a, this drill yeah because <laughs> hold still mostly i want to drill things i just want to see what will happen <laughs> <laughs> so medical quote-unquote tests were usually like literally sniff tests no no sniff test like a gut feeling it's like smelling your pee and being like oh you've got <laughs> oh that's syphilis yeah whatever little taste <laughs> oh, God, don't taste it. Don't taste it. Gross. Why am I being gross? As towns got bigger and more prosperous, the demand for actual effective treatments went up. And if you remember when we talked a little bit about social evolution in the Egyptian famine episode, the idea that when you're not worried about your next meal, you can worry about being healthier. Nice. So there was a demand for better medicine. Yes. In 13th and 14th century medicine, the education mostly relied on thousand year old texts and principles. Okay. So even though like you had these institutions where people would go to get trained, the training was still mostly like theoretical reading of <laughs> like thousand year old ideas. Right. <laughs> it was very little based on scientific observation. And actually the church didn't love autopsies and desecrating the human right, corpse. Right. So you usually learned anatomy through dissecting pigs. Okay. Which doesn't. Really Which is good because there's humans inside them. So you can <laughs> sort of. <laughs> they have a heart proxy. as well, I guess. <laughs> Still, doctors in the 14th century were much more informed compared to their predecessors. And now they also actually required a license to practice. So now they're no longer, it's no longer butcher, carpenter, and doctor. Now doctors <laughs> is like, like the plague of Athens, 14th century medicine gets close. But it misses the mark on okay. a few things, as you might imagine. There was a treatise written about the plague by a Parisian medical master, and it says, quote, the first cause of the pestilence was the configuration of the heavens in 1345 at one hour afternoon on 20 March. 
Mm. So the planets. So the planets caused the plague. Whoops. So basically, this like configuration resulted in evil vapors emanating from the Earth. Oh. So on the one hand, you're making some progress. On the other hand, couldn't try again. Be more off base. Maybe try again. You sound like a bunch of hippies. Still, they get a lot of details right. So, for example, they would say, quote, the plague was an acute disease accompanied by fever in its origin, poisonous in its material, which primarily reaches the heart by means of the air. Mm. They got that right. Mm. Spreads in the veins and corrupts the blood, septicemic plague, mm. and changes certain humors into a poisonous character, whence follow fever and blood spitting. So they get a lot of the details are there. Right. But still, it's- They're just it's, saying what they see. Just like Hippocrates in ancient Athens, mm. so close. <laughs> <laughs> and they also uh, prescribed some defenses against the plague, like avoiding tainted air. Which, again, good start yeah. by steering clear of swamps and stagnant water. Ooh. So, yeah. swing and a miss. Yeah. <laughs> Let in good air through north-facing windows and keep out bad air by shutting southerly windows. And also, most importantly, don't live in southern cities. <laughs> Although that might just be a direct reaction to knowing where the plague came from. Yeah. Don't go to Genoa. <laughs> don't go to Genoa. We haven't heard from them Italy's in years. <laughs> <laughs> and also, they didn't get everything right, so... <laughs> John uh, Collet, I think, is his name. John Collet, he was a physician. He, quote-unquote, observed attendants that took care of latrines were immune, hmm. he assumed. Okay. I'm, I don't know how he got to that point. But anyway, he recommended that bad air was an antidote to bad air. So you basically picture legions of people hoping to gain immunity from the plague, <laughs> huddled around municipal toilets, breathing in, <laughs> breathing in that stench. Hoping to be immune from the plague. Like looking for farts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to get in on this? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you feel one coming. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Oh, you know what I mean. The plague tore through Paris, causing up to 500 deaths a day. Still a high school Still a, day. a high school. Let's talk a little bit about the plague in Germany and Austria. Because that's a barrel of laughs too. Oh, great. <clears throat> There's actually maybe some humor here. Oh. <laughs> Not too much though. The Black Death gave rise to many legends and made people do a lot of strange things. For mm. example, in Vienna, you had the legend of Pest Jungfrau. So she is a malignant plague goddess who would emanate from the mouths of the dead and manifest as a jet of blue flame that could smite the living with a flick of the wrist. You also had possibly the strangest thing to come out of the plague, which was the flagellants. The flagellants. Flagellants. Uh, Not flagellants. Flagellants. We talked about that earlier. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> Just so we're all on the same page, here's an account from one of the 14th century practitioners of flagellation. So he, quote, stripped himself naked and yeah. beat his body and arms and legs till blood poured off of him. So he would fall to his knees in ecstatic pain and joy, quote, <laughs> naked and covered in blood, and he would pray to God to wipe out his sins. So that's what we're talking about. Wow. So they would march from city to city throughout Central and Northern Europe in Italy and Germany. They'd be barefoot wearing white robes with red crosses on the front and back. Uh -huh. A little bit like the Templars. Yeah, actually. I was going to say. And they'd wear hoods. They would arrive in a city in the hundreds and they would be preceded by like a chanted fanfare. It'd basically, like this is a huge thing when the flagellants showed up. They would whip up anticipation and excitement in the local population and the crowd would basically get to a point where they're chanting, save us to these uh -huh. flagellants. Okay. They'd march to the church, strip down to the waist, and begin lashing themselves violently using a cat and nine tails, kind of, but they yeah. usually have only three tails. So basically you have like a stick with these three ropes and a knot in the end tied around an iron spike. Right. And sometimes you'd whip themselves so hard that the iron spike would get stuck and they'd have to get someone else to pull it out. Yeah. <clears throat> I saw that in... Uh... 
Passion of the Christ. Never saw that actually. Oh, it's it's a fun one. So picture hundreds of men shirtless whipping themselves bloody. (laughs) How does the plague spread again? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the the flagellants were church adjacent. So they uh-huh. had like religious motivations, but they weren't necessarily directly associated yeah. with the church. They began in Italy in the 1260s as atonement for sins in response to a series of famines and sicknesses, and uh-huh. then they spread to Germany. In Italy, eventually the flagellants fell under control of the church, but in Germany, they were kind of more anarchic and they resisted any kind of church rule. They okay. kind of became their own thing. Uh-huh. So they would basically, during the Black Plague, they'd show up during any major calamity and typically originate in Germany. They just kind of like, whenever there's a calamity or a famine or something, the flagellants would show up and start beating themselves blind. <laughs> Try and make it go away, I guess. Just so weird. They, they spread everywhere throughout Europe and kind of like, they got a pretty fervent following, except in England. Okay. Where actually one chronicler <laughs> observed them and said, they do these things ill-advisedly. <laughs> <laughs> Very typically British. <laughs> I love that, right? It's not even just like, look at these psychos. It's yeah, like, I don't know about I don't, this. I don't yeah. think so. I don't no. think so. No, 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 no. I shan't. Not at all. I shan't be. <laughs> yeah. So they gradually became increasingly intense and violent and more frequent as the plague progressed. Strasbourg and Austria saw new groups of flagellants come through like every week for six months. Yeah. Never-ending flow of these people whipping themselves bloody. <laughs> in early fall 1349, Pope Clement, who had mostly condoned them, kind of took a harder look and shut them down. He kind of tolerated it because right. it's like, this seems religious adjacent. <laughs> and then he actually looked at what they were doing and he's like, oh, no. Realized no. it was probably primarily sexual. Yeah. It's for God. Yeah, sure. You have a raging (laughs) erection. (laughs) I can't even look at you right now. (laughs) He said, quote, we command our archbishops and suffragans as well as the laity to stand aloof from the flagellants and never again enter into relations with them. And they kind of vanished overnight. Probably a good call. Yeah. So that was, that's the plague in Germany. Before we leave, February 1349 in Strasbourg, there was a massacre that led to the death of 2,000 Jews. Uh, that again. Yeah. So again, it, it pops up everywhere. But like the, the Strasbourg massacre is one of the most, more sort of, I guess, well-chronicled ones from the Black right. Death. Well, that's a substantial number. Yeah. And well, it's also not even just like, Basically, they were marched into a pit and lit on fire. Oh, Awful. My God. Just the worst. Jesus. And that, that spread to Mainz and Cologne, where basically entire Jewish communities were wiped out. <laughs> so again, you have this plague that's killing everyone, and somehow you still have the energy to be dicks. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just. It's just an intrinsic human <sighs> need. Flaw? Or just, yeah, yeah. character yeah. trait. Yeah. It's in all of us. Let's talk about the plague in England. Because this whole time it's spreading. Remember how we we lit that fire on that like map that we're holding up in Marseille? Yeah. We're pretty much, we've burned our way up through France and Germany. And now we're at the southern tip of England. All right. The plague likely landed in Melcombe, which is the, which is a part of modern Weymouth in England in the summer of 1348. Okay. Keep in mind like slow and steady wins the race if you're the plague. Oh yeah. We started in fall 1347 in Genoa. Right. Now, summer 1348, slow and steady. Because it's not like it's a good it, pace. It, it didn't rip through in like a week. Like it no, would now. No, it's just right? consistently, like it's, yeah. relentlessly working its way up. Exactly. Where it landed is in the southern shore of England. Interestingly, 75 kilometers or 45 miles east of Tynmouth. 
mm. where Donald Crowhurst made some bad choices. Yeah. <laughs> Go back and listen to our two-part Tin Check with Electron episode. Great story. So the church records provide a lot of insight into how the plague spread in England. Yeah. So by October 1348, it had spread north and east from Melcombe. And one town, so the reason that the church records are interesting is because they keep track of how many, like what priest goes where and when they're replaced. Okay. And at this point, they're generally replaced because they die of the plague. Die of the plague. For example, in one town, they appointed three priests before one stuck. So oh. they on December 7th, they appointed a priest and then he was succeeded by a replacement a few days later. <laughs> and then that one was re replaced in January. <laughs> but I think that one stuck. So... <laughs> Just not a good time to be a priest no. during the Black Plague. God needed them, I guess. I, yeah. He he, urgent need of yeah. those priests. Yeah. So the plague made it to London uh, in 1348 okay. uh, in November. So now a year after it landed in Genoa, we're in London. So it had a familiar progression. The plague arrived. Everyone isolated themselves in their homes and London went from a bustling metropolis to a ghost town <laughs> filled with people dying or waiting to die. Right. And ghosts. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and literal ghosts. <laughs> so archaeologists in the 80s, actually 1980s, uh, discovered an assortment of attempts at burials. So again, oh, this really? is another, like you, you, you hold on to religious ceremony as long as you can uh, because basically they found... They found plague pits, like everywhere has plague pits, sure. but they also found caskets and individual graves. So basically you try to follow the rites until the numbers of dead are so overwhelming right. that you can't. You flip it to plague pits. Basically. The death rate reached about 200 people a day between February and April, 1349. Okay. 1349. So it's, like it's, a, it's there for a while. It's like a primary school. A primary day. school. Yeah. That's, that's a nice image. Oh God, that's what, <laughs> why did I start with high school? Because <laughs> I, I, I wished everyone in my high school would die. So. <laughs> yeah, okay. But that's good. my own issue. All right. So overall, the overall mortality was about 50% of the city by the time the plague was done with it, which again is not the worst, yeah. but still half the city. Oh yeah. Like imagine half the people on your street not existing anymore. Uh-huh. For better or worse. Okay, awesome. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but still, just like half half the people you know are gone now. So the plague was actually also an indiscriminate killer, mm. which is, I guess, nice. We've learned on, that, yeah. yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about Joan Plantagenet, the youngest child of Edward III of England. Okay. Brief sidebar. Edward III took over the crown after avenging the deposition of his father by his mother and her lover, and the rumored murder of his father, Edward II, by having a red-hot iron inserted into his anus. <laughs> So that'll do it. I got a note here that says he can't sidebar everything. So I tried <laughs> to fit that all into one sentence. <laughs> I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Where... All the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> she was sailing through Bordeaux, France in August of 1348 on her way to be married in Spain. Okay. And she was warned about the plague, but I mean, who thinks they're immortal more than a 15 year old <laughs> and add to that a Royal 15 year old. So she's yeah. like... Yeah, I'll be sure to look out for the plague. Yeah, I'll be looking for the plague. I'm yeah. going to get married. Yeah. This is my day. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to add a little bit of flavor, imagine her saying that looking up from her phone or just like staring <laughs> at her phone texting. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I'll be sure to look out for the plague. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so by September 1348, she and the rest of her wedding party were dead of the plague. <laughs> so probably should have listened. Probably should have looked out for that plague. So Edward III offered the Bishop of Carlisle a large ransom to go to plague-ravaged Bordeaux to retrieve her body. Very bishop noble of you, Edward, but... <laughs> yeah, the bishop reports that he couldn't retrieve her body, but... <laughs> he retrieved I, some plague? I doubt he actually went. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I just he hid for like a month exactly. and then came back. He's like, I couldn't find I her. I couldn't find was, it. Yeah. You seem fine. 
Yeah, I made it out. Oh yeah, it was. I held my I, breath. I got it, but I got it. Yeah, held my breath. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So either way, if he had, whether he had gone or not, he might not have actually found her body because the mayor of Bordeaux ordered the harbor to be burned to hmm. stem the flow of plague. Again, sensible. Yeah. But the plague also kills anyone able to control or fight fire. So the flames actually burned out of control and took a large portion of the city with them. <laughs> fire kills too, it turns out. <laughs> turns out. Uh, and actually one of the buildings that burned down likely had Joan's body Oops. in it. So. daisy Anyway. <clears throat> Just before we move from London, bringing the mass death to a personal level, mm. there was a plaque commemorating the Wakebridge family in Derbyshire, which is a county northwest of London. Okay. And here's what it read. 18 May, Nicholas, brother of William. 16 July, Robert, brother of William. 5 August, Peter, father of William, and Joan, sister of William. 10 August, Joan, wife of William, and Margaret, sister of William. And William made it out. So, oh, I was waiting for, like, September 2, William. No. <laughs> no, William made it through the plague, it turns out. Okay. But none of the rest of his family did. Well... And that is just one... Some guilt there for William. One little snippet of what happened everywhere else. Right. You'd have like families and... A one in seven survival rate. Yeah, basically. (laughs) The plague reached Northern England in 1349 and the Scots were Mm. loving it. Oh, Because I don't know if you know this, but the Scots aren't huge fans of the English, especially not in the 14th century. (laughs) They kind of saw the plague as the English's just desserts. That's what you get for being bloody English. Basically. And in March 1350, with England seemingly weakened, the Scots gathered their army along the border with England, intending to just take England over because they just see it ravaged by the plague. Cheap shot, but okay. We'll take some of that. Yep. Before they could launch the attack, though, they started getting sick. <laughs> Maybe they should have learned about Janabeg. <laughs> yeah. They began to beat a retreat, and the English chased them and killed most of them. Okay. So don't get too smug. No. There's the moral of that story. <laughs> and the Scots, they actually, so they bought, they brought Yersinia Pestis home with them, but the Scottish mortality wasn't as high as other places, and it might have had to do with the climate. Hmm. Or it could be all the Scotch. So drink Scotch. Drink a lot of Scotch? Drink a lot kills, of Scotch. Kills disease? No plague. Basically. There you go. Meanwhile, in Spain, 1350, in case you thought anywhere was safe, the plague kept going west along the coast. So you remember how we left those Genoese ships? Yep. So they eventually make their way to Spain. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice you didn't mention Spain yet. They largely, it's likely that they mostly got the septicemic form of the plague. Ooh, which is lucky. the most terrifying. Yeah. So there's a chronicler in Spain who basically told the story of a French cleric visiting on a pilgrimage. The cleric stopped by an inn managed by an innkeeper and his two daughters. After waking the next day, he found the inn abandoned. He finally ran into another guest and asked him where the innkeeper and everyone else was. And it turns out everyone got sick and died overnight. (laughs) We were here last night. Relentless. So the plague killed the only reigning monarch too. Mm. Basically everywhere else in Europe, all the kings made it out alive, except in Spain. It killed King Alfonso of Castile. Wow. Uh, And incidentally... It was Joan, who the 15-year-old who died along the way, was going to be his future daughter. Oh, right, right. She's right. going to Spain. Man, why would the Jews do that? I know, right? <laughs> oh, God. Like, do you think they're like, we're sick too! Yeah, right. Do you not Look! know? We're also dying. <laughs> it's not a numbers Whatever, game. Whatever, <laughs> you Jew! Oh, God. Ugh. Jesus. And we're nearing the end here. Okay. 
Rounding up. The plague comes full circle. In 1349, the plague makes its way to Norway. Okay. And it uh, lands in Bergen, courtesy mm. of a merchant ship from London. That's nice of them. Freaking boats. Just stay off boats. Don't go. Don't go on a boat. Don't go on a boat. Don't go on a boat. Blood puking idiot. Don't listen to Lonely Island. Boats are awful. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the boat. plague wreaked havoc. Havoc. Black metal. Uh, right. uh, the band. Havoc. Anyway. I get it. The plague wreaked havoc on Bergen and on village after village in Norway. So mm. basically the plague shows up, then it turns east and basically does the same to Sweden. <laughs> and at one point, King Magnus II of Sweden declares in an attempt to combat the plague, he mm. declares foodless Fridays and shoeless Sundays. <laughs> this sounds like something at work, a right? horrible job. That or it sounds like, yeah, something like a local bar would do as a promotion. <laughs> yeah. Come in for shoeless Sundays, shoeless $5 pints. It's a riot. Anyway, I feel like they're grasping at straws at this point. You get to Norway and they've seen what's happened everywhere else in Europe and they're yeah. like, fucking, I don't know, shoeless Sundays, Shoe I guess. Comes from, yeah. Nothing else has worked. Yeah. Maybe no shoes. The plague makes its way through Sweden and Norway and back to Russia. So by 1352, oh, yeah. the plague had spread across the Baltic Sea and back into Russia. It tore along trade routes and descended on Moscow. In 1352, <laughs> and then it burned itself out merely 1,200 kilometers or 740 miles north of Kaffa. <laughs> so, wow. Kaffa, where just five years prior, five years prior, a group of once smug Italians yeah. limped away from their Mongol sieged, corpse catapulted city to start <laughs> this whole fucking nightmare. <sighs> Man. Brief epilogue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So the plague burning through Moscow was the signal of the end. Okay. Of the first plague. Oh. <laughs> the plague tore through Europe again in 1361. What? If the 1361 plague was the first instance of Yersinia pestis ravaging Europe, it would be the story we just told. This was the awful first appearance of the Black Death. Uh-huh. If this hadn't happened, 1361 was just as awful. Okay. And the Part same... Two thing would basically happen in every other outbreak. And I say every other outbreak purposefully because this is also, 1361 isn't the last time that the Black Death showed up in Europe. Okay. In fact, the plague showed up again in 1360 and in 1374 and in 1400 and in 1438 <laughs> and in 1456 and in 1465 <laughs> and in 1481 okay. and in 1500. <laughs> And on and Is on. Is three of this? Really, <laughs> it really didn't go away until the 18th century. Wow. Basically, it, the How historical it... record talks about it showing up, but it seems like it never really went away. You have were like they... five to 10 year gaps and then it shows up again. I mean, were they better equipped to deal with it you each know what? time or over time? Like, did um, they have some kind of let's understanding just say of... that this isn't even an... Astute listeners will remember that we might have hinted at something about this happening in London during our Fire of London episode. All right. This isn't even the last time that we talk about the Black Plague. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be back. Oh. The mortality figures. There's no precise figure because most people were busy dying. Dying. The death rate were probably as high as 60% in Europe. Close to two thirds of the population of Europe was wiped out. All right. So if you had a population of approximately 80 million, 50 million died. 60% wow. and 60% is an average. So in Italy, France, and Spain, it was probably closer to 75% mortality. Right. And in Germany and England, it was closer to 20 to 25. <laughs> and the other interesting aspect of this is that the economy shifted drastically after the plague because basically 
wages for labor went through the ceiling. Yeah. Because every able-bodied person died. Right. So if you were alive and you could lift a shovel, you made a killing. <laughs> hundred bucks an hour. Yeah. And that led to its own spinoff disaster, which we won't get into now, but read the book. <laughs> yeah. Few closing thoughts. Hey. So as hard as the Black Death tried, it didn't really shake the core of humanity. I think we mentioned that on a few instances, like butchers still butchered, lawyers still lawyered. Everywhere people were dying, but society kind of continued on. Okay. Which I thought was kind of an interesting aspect of this, you know, human resilience. Resilience. You have this thing that's basically the end of the world, Uh but people are like, I still gotta go to work. Mm. Flip side of the coin, you also have widespread persecution of the Jews, which shows that (laughs) no matter how fucked things are, you can still find assholes to make someone's day worse. Like the exact opposite of this is affecting all of us. We should come together and and, nope. Gonna make it make any any prejudice you have. It's gonna make it ten times yeah, worse. Exactly. Like, you got, I have free reign to be the biggest asshole I've always wanted to be. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you just like this animosity, and you have to point it somewhere. And yeah. <sighs> yeah. Also, finally, this is actually an interesting uh, instance of sort of. I see the. Uh, like we told this whole story of humanity getting ravaged by the plague and I just picture nature kind of standing back and rolling its eyes. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> so as a first step, I feel like humanity has survived earth. We've talked about that a lot. Yeah. Like tsunamis, yeah. earthquakes, volcanoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like we we survived despite the earth. And it's like Eucinia pestis didn't really have evil intent. It's it's just biology, right? Of course. This showed up and it's just like, oh. Did what it did. Did what hu- it does. It's human stupid problem that we're susceptible to. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, well, why'd you, why'd you don't, maybe don't outpace your food production? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. How about be healthy and don't, that's a you problem. And uh, finally, <laughs> this actually brought up something that you mentioned in an earlier episode. I can't remember what we were talking about, but it might've been the tsunami one where- <laughs> You were saying how in the face of all these calamities, the earth is always kind of watching it and being like, oh, I'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Like, don't worry about me. Yeah, 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 yeah. If the Black Death wiped out all of humanity instead of just two thirds of it, the earth would be like, good, back good. to- back, back to normal. Back to being Eden, basically. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are kind of screwing with my shit. Right? Yeah. So I feel like- and, that, and that's, why, that's what got me thinking that I feel like people who advocate, for example, fighting climate change because of some kind of duty to the environment, I feel like they've got it wrong. It's more, if anything, it's no, a duty to ourselves. It's a duty to civilization. It's a duty to our, like, if we would like to continue on as humans, exactly. we should do something about if it. If we want our current lifestyle as we yeah. know it, do something about it. Yeah. Which is obviously I'm all yeah. for and for so sure, are you. For sure, for sure. But like, but yeah, if not- save the world- <laughs> World's going to be fine. The world if you want to will... save the world, let's keep going. Yeah. I think there's some George Carlin quote. He's like, the yeah. world will just shake us off like fleas <laughs> off a dog. Like, yeah, Yeah. Gross. Plague okay. infested fleas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's nice. right. So that was a disaster. Oh my God. With a little bit of an intermission in there. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. probably deserved because I, I don't know how long we're running now, but I feel like it's pushing two we're, hours. We're pushing two hours, but there's a lot to say. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of plague. I didn't want to make it three parts because I promised. Nah. So, you know. I gave you a place to pause. There you go. Music. <laughs> what did that make you listen to? Well, sir, um, I, I, this time I sort of purposefully stayed away from the metal. It's just, it's such an obvious choice for this level of doom and despair. Fair enough. Um, but it just sort of, I've just been listening to this band a lot recently, a band called Killing Joke. Okay. Who, um, 
I'm pretty sure my next uh, Tragedy Tuesday will be about them in a way. So look forward to that. They're one of my favorite bands. So I won't gush too much about them now because I'll talk about them next time. Sounds good. Uh, But um, there's a song of theirs called The Hum. Okay. And again, like I said this before, I'm not really a lyrics person. Like Usually when I pick a song, it's not necessarily because it's about a certain, like they don't have any songs about the Black Plague or any plague. (laughs) Um, They do have a song called Plague, but (laughs) that's beside the point. Anyway, this song, like musically, it's just very creepy and it just has this sort of insistent, like, like it's just like what you described. The plague is methodically, slowly, but relentlessly making its way. And you kind of get that from the music. And actually the first line is, uh, slowly slowly all fall down oh look at that so that's kind of good i mean the song itself is not it's i think it's just about you know turning a blind eye to right what's really happening mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's a creepy relentless kind of beat in a song and you know you, you're probably hearing it right now you hear what i'm talking about right yeah and yeah. it's great sure did check it out it's from the album revelations the hum revelation 1982 1982 they've been around for a while yeah okay 79 i think sweet still going over to you so for mine, it's actually a recommendation that I surprised myself with. I told you on the drive here, I kind of, I had one picked yeah. and then this morning, this just came on my Spotify shuffle or whatever Yeah. Uh, from previously listened to music. And I was like, no, that's perfect. Perfect. So it's, uh, it's actually, so the band is Deaf Heaven. Oh, <laughs> We've yeah. talked about it before. Sure. <laughs> kind of post-metal, post-black metal shoegaze. Yeah, yeah. Kind of both fanboys a little bit. Great <clears> band. From San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, it's off Sunbather. Okay. 24. 14? Yeah. Sounds right. That sounds right. And it's Dreamhouse, the first track. Such Their a good best song. song. It's almost almost cheating picking that song. Yeah. But the reason that it kind of clicked is I was listening to it and it basically covers the tone of that this story of the plague beginning to end, I feel. Because uh-huh. you start with like the powerful, fast, kind of savage, death heaven, black metal bent. Yeah. And then you go through like the sustained middle part where yeah. you just like keep building and building and it's just like... It just gets very just, kind of emotional. It does. Yeah. yeah. And then towards the end, it kind of mellows out and you have this like melancholy but kind of optimistic ending. Mm-hmm. Just like the Black, black Death kind of burning itself out and right. giving human room to breathe. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets... It gets heavy again? Yeah. And that's the plague coming That's, <laughs> that's the plague More never punch in the face. Exactly. You know, it's still here. So don't get too caught. I think they mentioned that in the Seinfeld. Yeah? When he's, the guy's telling the lady, like, don't go to India. He's like, they still have the plague there. They I do. mean, the plague. <laughs> <laughs> Please. It's true, man. You you go to the, the the Terabagan Gardens are still a thing. You go there, you get the plague. So don't go there. <laughs> and what happens if you got the plague today? Uh, if you didn't die in an hour? There's some antibiotics that might help. Might? Might. <laughs> Like, the plague is okay. not messing around. No. This one's here to stay. It's not like, oh, we can deal with that now. Take no. this pill. Yeah. Plague-free. Yeah. Well, no. Nope. Still, the medical, like, advice is don't go anywhere near anyone with a plague. <laughs> and probably so don't, got that right. Don't pet a terabagon. No. If you've learned anything from this podcast, don't pet a terabagon. Shit weasels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, uh, wait. What are we doing next week? Next major disaster. Oh. Yeah, next time I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to lead you into 16th century North Carolina Uh and I might just leave you there. 
All right. And never come back. All right. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So stay tuned for stay that. Stay tuned for that next major disaster. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, sticking with us for this uh, probably hour and a half podcast at this point. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. That was Good the conclusion of our October trilogy of despair, just in time for Halloween tomorrow. If you want to help us out, please uh, tell anyone you think would like this podcast to listen. That would be great. Subscribe anywhere that you listen. Leave a review anywhere that you listen. Listen anywhere that you listen. Listen, 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 listen. Listen where you listen and listen. Just listen. 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 Just yeah. listen. Everyone listen. If you want to follow listen. us on our social medias, at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. And we'll see you next time for our next major disaster. Trick or treat. Trick or treat.